there's no fear. Dead people shouldn't fear death. You know, they can't, they, they can't experience something they've already experienced. I'm going to share a little testimony that right with this, you guys. This, I, just, I didn't really, wasn't going to share it, but I am going to share it. Um, yeah. Well, um, you know, ever since an Emerge, we got into, you know, we get these, these books that everybody in the Emerge has to read. There's like 10 or 12 of these books. And we, we start off with One Way Love. You should write these books down if you're not an Emerge or have not read these books. They're amazing books. One Way Love. Then we go right into Mystical Union, right? And then we, and then we go from there into um, understanding the whole Bible. But... Um, I don't know. I came out, you know, it's great because we do these Saturdays and everybody comes and does their book reports and they get to share the impact that the book is having on you. And it's just a really powerful day of people, you know, just watching. It's fun. It's fun to watch what God's doing and emerge and the transformation that's happening right before your eyes in people's lives. And you, you know, seeing their struggle and seeing them break through that struggle and change and overcome. And so anyway, when we went through this, I kind of felt like, Doing leading Emerge this year, I knew the Holy Spirit told me to do it. And this is a really interesting time for me. I I don't even know that I understand what season I'm in, but I've kind of, part of the season is not needing to understand what season you're in. So that's a pretty interesting place to be. I mean, it's a, it's, it's probably the first time in my life it's because it, that I've really kind of been there. Um but as we read, so it's kind of, I'm experiencing some merge things as we're going through it. And when we went through the Mystical Union book, I felt really, really strongly that I was just supposed to plant on that place of union. And if you know not much about my testimony, you know, I always say Mystical Union was the book that I should have written, that John had the, wrote it before I could. Um, because, you know, my history of meditating for a whole year on the scripture, Christ and you, the hope of glory, and then meditating a whole nother year on we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. We haven't got to that teaching in Emerge yet. It's called the Jesus sandwich. But <clears throat> anyway, I mean, it's, it's interesting. The longer I walk with the Lord, the longer I teach the word, the longer that I pers- not even really pursue, stop pursuing, <laughs> really, the call of God on my life. Um, and just, I don't know, just walk with Jesus, I guess, live. The longer I just live life as a follower of Jesus, the more I come back to some pretty simple things. And it's getting so very simple right now that I do feel like my whole life is having to slow down a little bit so that my brain can get recalibrated with what God is actually trying to do in me right now. Um, so I'm going to lead this up to a testimony, but it's not, I don't know. Let me just keep going. Um, so I, as I've been in st- staying with Mystical Union, it's kind of like the book will be a jumping off point for just either a conversation with God or a Bible study or me reading some of the other church fathers and that wrote about union and things. And as I've really been diving into this, I came to this realization, I'm going to try to explain it, that although I had been really, I mean, I have been preaching union as the core message of the gospel 
uh, leading people into encounters with union. I mean, union has been a, a core message of mine for a long time. I realized that there, there was still an aspect in my own walk with the Lord and in my experience of union with him where I still operated under this idea that I had an independent self. So it was like I had, there was an, a me and then a Jesus, and then we became one. It was almost like the revelation of, you know, marriage where the two shall become one, or even the mystery of the Trinity <clears throat> where, you know, there's three of them, but yet they're one God. What I didn't really have settled in my heart, which is God's really been doing it in this season of my life, and I don't know what else to call it except replacement theology, is the idea that the independent self was crucified on the cross, that that was actually what was crucified, and that the lie of independence is what actually has to be crucified. And that's what entered at the fall, that this whole idea of, of an independent nature or an independence at all is the nature of Satan. It is, independence in general is the nature of rebellion. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the opposite of dependence. It's the, and it's, 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 it's subtle in the sense that they almost seemed like, well, you know, you're not separate, so therefore you're not independent. But I found, and I still believe with all my heart, that even though we, we can, we, we preach union or we, you know, we, we believe in union, we believe we are one, we still relate even to God as though we're, we're independent. Like just recently, praying the prayer, and I even said this, help me is a great prayer. Well, help me assumes there's a me to help. And by, by its very nature, assumes that you lack something. So you're already coming out of a lie that you're somehow independent of God and lacking something. Are you following what I'm saying? And so this particular revelation is what God has been attempting to solidify in my life in this season. And um, it is a very unique, I mean, it's, I don't know how to describe it except that, uh, you know, it, one, and I think the way I will describe it is that, you know, I started just losing, I started losing the ability to do things in my own independent strength. And you don't realize how much of that we do um, out of habit, out of, uh, out of uh, feelings of responsibility, out of, uh, I don't even know what it is exactly, just, just an independent, a place of independence. Are you making, does that make sense? And I just started realizing that I really didn't have the ability to do that anymore. And so I've had to stop a lot of activity in the season. Um, that's why I haven't like been sending out my weekly emails or doing videos or filming or doing a lot of the things that I was doing before um, because I don't have the desire to do it. But there's nothing wrong with me. Um, does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with me. It's, it's a, simply a recognition that there is a place of rest 
that I'm entering into, <clears throat> that I, that I, and, and, and oh Lord, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it. Um, Norman Grubb, which is a interesting guy, he had a ministry uh, that started in the early 1920s. John Crowder references him in Mystical Union quite a bit, has a lot of quotes from Norman Grubb. And so I've been reading a lot of Norman's stuff, and he talks about these three phases of revelation, I guess is what you would say, because it's not a work. It's not like three phases that you work to get into. It's just three phases of understanding maybe. And the first phase he talks about is the phase when we first hear the gospel and we have a recognition that, oh my gosh, Jesus is Lord. He's Savior. I need him. Uh, you know, and it's just this kind of baby Christian idea that you are a follower of Jesus, you're a believer of Jesus, but you somehow yet are still completely independent of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? You're worshiping him, you believe in him, you believe he died for your sins, you are totally, you love Jesus, you are so thankful for Jesus, you believe you're a child of God. I mean, you're believing gospel truth, right? But you're believing in complete truth. And so you haven't yet come to this place where you started to recognize, wait a second, Jesus' real message, and obviously Paul's message, was really about, about becoming one with God. It was really about a vine and a branch. It was about, apart from him, you could do nothing. Jesus talks about, come to him, all that are weary, and he would give you rest. And it's, you know, and it, there's a whole kind of language in Jesus' teaching that you have to, you have to, it has to be unveiled to you for you begin to see it. You know, in John 17, when he prays that, that um, those that would come to believe in him through his disciples would be one, just as the Father is one, and that through that oneness, the world would believe that he was who he says he is. I mean, it's there, but it's not always evident when you are just learning the gospel. So the second piece is kind of getting this unveiled union component where you just really start to realize, well, I am very much you know, uh, one with God, but there become, there comes a time when you, when you, he talks about this place where it's not Jesus and you, it's Jesus as you. It's where you start to recognize that Jesus is actually, he actually is living his life through you. Not theoretically, but Jesus is actually living through you. And that this idea of you is a deception. And this relationship that you have with you apart from him is actually the lie. It's the father of the lies. It's the lie. It's this independent you that you, and then, you know, we struggle with it. It's the, it's Romans 6, 7, and 8 where, you know, Paul starts into this whole dissertation. And we think, we think Romans 7 is Paul, but that's Paul's struggle with an old self that no longer existed. Does that make sense? And so then you kind of get to this place where you're kind of like, wow. And it, and it really is this, it really is a life to learn to abide. I mean, this is really what we are growing into. We are growing into a place of consciousness of Jesus to such a degree that he lives through us. Does that make sense? And that the idea of really taking thoughts captive, there's really a bunch of variations of one lie. 
You know, it's a bunch of variations. I mean, it, it can, there's a whole bunch of ways that they come. But when it says a take it, take it, take your thoughts obedient to Christ, a lot of times we have thought, well, take our thoughts obedient to the word of God. Well, that's not what it says. It says, take your thoughts obedient to Christ. And Christ means, no, I'm no longer alive. Christ lives in me. So the thought has to come in obedience to this thought that I am no longer living, but Christ lives in me. That is the thought. When you have, when you have a thought to be jealous, when you have a thought to, to think about poverty or think about sickness or think about all of the many, many temptations that we have on a daily basis to think in ways that lead us down a path it's carnal thinking, right? To be, to be carnally minded is death, right? That take us down a path of whatever path. It's not, a, it's not a path of life and peace. It's not a path of the kingdom, right? And when those thoughts come and we're taking them to obedience of Christ, we are taking them to the obedience of I am crucified with Christ. So it is impossible for me to feel jealousy. Now, I may be tempted with jealousy. I may be tempted to believe I'm sick. I may be tempted to believe a lot of things. The circumstances may try to get me into agreement with a lot of things. But the truth is, I no longer live. I no longer live. What does that actually mean? I no longer live. It, it means freedom from a self-centered life. And that is the ultimate deliverance. You know, I mean, self-centeredness, I heard Andrew Womack say, is the source of all grief. Self-centeredness, self-mindfulness, self-ishness, self-centered-minded thinking is death. Right? But the good news is you've are, that's, that has been crucified. You do not have to own it. You don't have to own it. You don't have to own it just because you feel it or just because it's in your circumstances. You do not have to own it. And so I've been practicing this. I've been practicing not owning stuff. Um, I shared a little bit on Emerge and, you know, but when I, when I, the, the month that Emerge went live, October 2015, I had an attack on my life. I didn't realize what an attack it was at the time. I mean, I knew it was an attack, but I didn't understand the attack. Um, I was at one of my girls' dance recitals. And it was an attack such that if you didn't know Jesus, you need to call the mental institution people right then, and they need to come, and they need to pick you up, and they need to take you somewhere safe. Right? Um, I had a near open vision experience there where I looked down and I saw that my wrists were split, were slit. And, um, I'd never been suicidal, had never tried to commit suicide. I mean, I had heard a voice in my head years ago when I was in the midst of oppression, like try to tell me to jump off my balcony when I lived in, on the 30th floor in Chicago. But even then, I knew it wasn't me, and it just scared me. So I'd never struggled 
with thoughts of death or thoughts of that kind of stuff before. But beginning after that situation, I began hearing the thought almost all the time that I was going to die. Okay, you're going to die. I'm going to, it was always in first person, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Well, you know, because we do inner healing and such, um, I took it into some sessions and started working on it. And it led to a series of pre-birth memories that you can't prove, you know. And bottom line is, after about 18 months and multiple sessions and a whole lot of stuff, it hadn't got any better. It had actually gotten worse. And so the fruit of all of that wasn't deliverance and wasn't healing. It was just continued struggle. And so last summer, I had one intercessor that I have been in relationship for a decade at least uh, from Chicago prayed over me. And when she prayed for me, it left. Which brought me into this place of, okay, what's actually going on here? Right? What is actually going on here? And it started to shake a lot of the assumptions that I had made or that I had been operating with on how to approach life as a believer. Are you following me? Now, prior to this, about five years ago, I had a very intense prophecy from the Lord, a very intense experience with the Lord where he told me that pretty much he was not going to allow anything to manipulate or control me, that he was going to shine the light on me, he was going to set me free, he was going to set me free from the opinions of men, and that he was not, I was not, I was going to be unmanipulatable. And that I was going to rely on him to judge situations, circumstances, and hearts. And it took me into a pretty, I mean, it's been a very intense time. That's probably been seven years ago. It's been a long time ago. It took me into a very intense series of events that have that been off and on during that time. But I can say, in the process of all this, there has been an emptying out of my ability to do ministry and my ability to do really most anything, um, which is a really interesting process to be taken through. Um, when we live in a world and in a country where <clears throat> so many things are, the independent spirit is so celebrated and accomplishments, and success, and doing, and results, and numbers, and so many metrics, <laughs> you know, from your balance, I mean, I just, you know, definitions of success, and just all of those things, we live right in the middle of, you know, the land of opportunity, or whatever, you know, and there's so much teaching in the body of Christ, um, that is really world success principles um, packaged into kingdom prosperity and other things. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And so you, you, and 
you walk through that. And so it's a it, discernment is key. I mean, you know. An angel came in. Um, an angel came in. <laughs> hey. We have a dog trainer that teaches us to growl at our dogs. So whenever I growl at them, people think, oh, my gosh, you're so weird. But they, they don't understand human talk, just so you know. We learned, we learned how to be alphas and how to, how to talk to our dogs because we were having dog fights and stuff, so we had to, we had to get it under control. But anyway, where was I at? Just, you know, just so my point is even discerning through all of that, like, you could just you could turn on Christian TV for a week and be t- so confused. Am I preaching the truth? <laughs> By the time you're done, you don't know what to do, right? Do you claim it? Do you name it? Do you cast it out? Do you fast it off? Do you right? Do you give right or do you reap? You know, right? Do you meditate or do you soak? You know, do you worship or do you march around it? You, you know, but I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like in a week, you could be so confused about just, well, I don't know. You know what I mean? But there's just so much. We're, we're inundated with information. We are inundated with preaching. We're inundated with messages and, and you know, so this whole process, I mean, even that is a process of just discernment, you know, and coming to this place of just high, you know, a little bit of like a a step back, you know what I mean? And just be like, okay, I'm taking a Holy Ghost time out, you know? And I, I encourage that. I encouraged Holy, I encourage Holy Ghost timeouts because I don't know, at the end of the day, man, there's just something so powerful just about you and your relationship with God. I know that seems so elementary and so like obvious and so almost stupid to say, but but I think it does need to be said in this day and age that we live in when there is so much anointed preaching and so much anointed teaching and we've got YouTube and Bethel TV and God TV and Roku and I mean, I don't even know what all we got. You know, and all I know is that when we picked up Mystical Union and Emerge, and I knew it when I read it, and I knew when I meditated on it for that year, and I knew when I meditated on that fully, there's something here. There's depths in this particular thing that is so deep that if you do nothing for the rest of your life but dive into that and get all the way down to the deep end of that and then realize there's a trap door, so you got to go even deeper down. I mean, this revelation that Paul spent his entire life trying to write letters to, to, to churches and get it into some kind of form so that you and I could actually understand what happened at the cross, right? I just thought, okay, i got to major on this thing because God's doing something in my life this, this, he's doing something in my life that doesn't make sense. There's not going to be an answer outside. I'm not going to be able to go. I mean, not that you can't get ministry or get prayed for. I mean, heck, I already said, I prayed. You know, there's been a whole bunch of people that have ministered to me along the way. But there is something that I'm yielding to in this season that is the point. 
And at the end of it, it doesn't really matter if I have a ministry or not. (laughs) You know, it doesn't, I mean, what matters is Christ. What matters is Christ. What matters is faith working by love. What matters is a life where Jesus is actually being expressed through. You know, it's not a, and this is, I think we're just exhausted from Christian stuff. You know, I mean, I kept wondering, why do I not have grace to go to conferences? Why can't I go? I can't go anywhere. I'm exhausted. Like the thought of it, just, I can't do it. And it's not an indication of anything other than what God is doing in me. And he, he, I, I mean, I'm tired. And that's the whole point. Are you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? And I personally think that a lot of Americans, I believe a lot of people in America feel this way today. And I think my example right now is just to sit down and do nothing unless it is empowered by the one that lives in you. You know, and I just think we don't even know the difference because we've been living independent for so long and inviting God along. You know, we've been, we've been inviting God along, and he's gracious. He loves us. First of all, he was already there. He didn't need an invitation. You know what I mean? So he's not, I mean, he is awesome. You know what I mean? Like, he's not upset. He's not mad. He's like a wonderful parent that has amazing patience that lets the kid run themselves ragged after the sugar high. You know? You just let them run it off because it's only temporary. And, you know, the thing is, the good you was crucified too. That needs to be said. The good you was crucified too. You know, we, have, we, we like the idea that the sinful us was crucified. Because that's like good news, right? Because we didn't like that person either. Right? We're, we're like, that's the best news ever. Because You know why? Because our hearts are new and they don't agree with that. So we're like, yay, that person I didn't like was crucified. That person that lied and said stupid stuff and still does, crucified. And we're just like, woo, that's the gospel. But let me tell you something. The good me is what's getting crucified. The good Shalise, the one that can do good things, the one that can make her quota and make half a million dollars and be a VP by the time she's 24 and, you know, be an executive coach that makes 500 bucks an hour and, uh, you know what, whatever that all is in your life, right? The one that can minister healing to people and whatever. I mean, there's, Jesus does that, but you know, go get minister Shalise. She's the one, if there's a devil in the house, go get her. You know, I mean, just the one that can, that can identify with the good things. And that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians three. He was talking about the good Paul. He wasn't talking about the murderer Paul. He wasn't talking about I mean, let's just say this, the prideful Paul, <laughs> you know, the good, he, was, he was saying the good Paul, he counted as rubbish. And I'm telling you, this is a very intense process. I still have not even gone through it on the other side to understand all of it, except that I'm so thankful that God loves me enough to make sure I get it before I screw too many things up. 
you know, because the good me was likable, dislikable too, but you know, at least it it helped me feel good about me. Doesn't the good you kind of help prop you up and the good you, you know, then you compare the good you to the other good others. And that's where that whole comparison thing comes in. Well, I'm good, but wait, maybe I'm not as good as them. They're better than me. Like, I even, like, we even put ministers up on this pedestal. You know, like, I, I would think to myself, because you'd hear the good things they would do, and I'd be like, I could never be as good as them, you know? But the point is, that's, that is rubbish. Jesus killed all that. There is no flesh that can glory. Good or bad. That was the tree. It was good and bad. It was the knowledge of good and bad. It wasn't just bad. And, you know, even the prodigal and the elder brother, you know, it's the good boy and the bad boy. I mean, and the good, we all have both. The flesh is both. The flesh is both. And so I can't do good things now. Isn't that terrible? It's a terrible thing to come to terms with the fact that you can't do good things anymore. Like I have been, I have been benched. I am benched because I cannot do the good things anymore. It's a, it's, it is, it is a weird place to come to terms with this idea that the good you is dead. Well, here's the thing, though. This is a moment by moment by... You know what it really boils down to, Chris? Practicing the presence. It boils down to... Um, it, and now this is what Norman Grubb says that I'm not sure... Like, I, I, I actually... I've been Facebook messaging John Crowder with some of this stuff. We've been... I mean, I've just been like, what do you think about Norman Grubb and da, 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 some of these theories he has and stuff. And it's good because I get... I just have another person who's you know, probably light years ahead of me in their understanding of certain things to uh, bounce it off of. Um, Because this is what this book talks about. Okay, now there's there's a... And again, I'm just going to... I believe it's grace. This is what I believe. I believe this with all of my heart. Us doing something is more of it. Does that make sense? Like us, us praying this prayer, like we're going to right now take it upon ourselves and we're going to put that good person up on the cross, dang it, and we're going to crucify that good person. You know what I'm saying? It's even more of the very thing that is crucified. It does that, and it feels right. Because here's the deal. Our hearts are in agreement. Our hearts leap with it because we know it's true. And we don't know what to do. And we're so used to doing we don't know how to be. It is really, really true. And I, I, you know, I'm just talking out of this in the middle of this, which, you know, they always tell preachers, you never do that. But I never listen to that. I just go with what's on my heart. And I figure God can, you know, let people listen to it. They're supposed to listen to it. Whatever. Because I, I'm a, I believe with all my heart that that's how Jesus lived. I mean, he lived down in the dirt with people. He wasn't, 
You know, I mean, he was just living life with them, the people that were following him. He was just real and authentic and just there, you know. And if my process can help anybody, well, then praise God, let it help somebody. And if not, well, just go turn on God TV, you know. <laughs> go listen to a hundred different messages till you find one that hits <laughs> because this is what I got, you know. And I don't know that I've really understood this. Um, I haven't understood, I mean, I really am just, by the grace of God, starting to understand and starting to experience this. And at first, it sounds like you're in trouble. You know, when you first start experiencing it, you feel like almost like you're in trouble, like you did something wrong. But no, you did something good. But you did it. With God in the car. You know, and that's better. That's so much better probably than not having God in the car at all because God is so good. He is really a good father. So he's not mad at us. You know, he's not mad at us that we didn't get it right. He's not mad at us that we don't understand it. He's not mad at us that we're on a sugar high. Hey, he gave us the sugar. You, You know, I mean, he's so not upset. So, what, what am I, where am I going next? So, back to this concept of Norman Grubb. So, he kind of talks about this experience that you have by the grace of God where it just becomes real. And I just think the best thing you can do at all And all of it is just to practice the presence of God. In a sense, when I say that, though, it's a particular way of practicing the presence. It's a particular way of recognizing that Jesus is living in you. All right, it's it's not just recognizing, because I would always, I'm just going to be really honest. I'm just being honest. This is not a criticism at all. This is a testimony of my dullness, okay? Because most of the time when I'm critical, it really is just that I'm dull, (laughs) And I don't get it or I don't understand it. But I remember going to Bethel and they're all practicing the presence. And they, they, you know, they have the, they all do kind of this. It's like a, it's just like a help, you know, it just helps them remember. It does nothing magical about holding your hands out or anything. They even say that. But it's just like practicing the presence. And so, you know, I never knew, I didn't, because I mean, it's just because I'm visual, I never knew what to do. You know, it'd be like I'm, pr- Am I becoming aware of Holy Spirit's presence in the atmosphere around me? Am I becoming aware of God's presence in me? I don't even know if I thought it through that much. I just knew I didn't know what to do to feel the presence and to get into the presence, you know, like they were doing. And I think that's great. And I I honestly did probably come to a place where I figured that out and could just do it. Um... But the gospel, if we're just really going to make this about Jesus and the cross and the gospel and what the gospel really is, it is a message about our death. Yes, our resurrection, but it's really his resurrection in us. It's his, it's, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, 
but Christ in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith, now this always confused me, of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? And so right now, the meditation is, Christ is living in me. His faith is in me. His fruit, you know, I, how do, what is what are the fruit of the Spirit? It's his fruit. I'm just the vine. And let me say this, this way of life is meant to be natural. Not natural, it's really supernatural, but I mean natural in the sense that it's not a try. Do you understand? It's, 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 it's an abide. And so... But there is, so what I have been doing, and this is kind of based on this thing with Norman, is just, you know, for example, if, if I feel I get triggered, you know, I get triggered by something on Facebook. Don't you know you get triggered on Facebook, right? Does it, I mean, it's true. It's Trigger City Facebook, especially if you, if you depending on what you follow and like, right? I follow and like a lot of stuff interesting things but so you know and instead of right like my workout video I loved it when they were like go to church feel in the spirit and then they're like go to church oh yeah really feel in the spirit I love that part anyway I talk about my workout video um but you know it's like in that moment where that happens just saying wait Christ lives in me. I don't have to own this. I may experience it, but I don't have to own this. You know, and it's this whole concept. I was, I brought the book because I've been underlining a few things that I just thought were so apropos. Let me share this. And I'm just not going to apologize for this being my teaching tonight because it's it's right, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna read a little bit of this because I this this really, and this is talking about Norman here. Okay, it says here I have made the case that the renewal of the mind is the continual remembrance that you no longer live but Christ lives in you. Now let me just say it again, okay? The renewal of the mind is continual remembrance that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. In fact, listen to this, part of the renewal of the mind is to realize that you already have the mind of Christ. Even your mind is realizing that it's gloriously perfect. Okay, now it talks about grub. Grub points out that as we mature, we realize an inability to accomplish the Christian life. As a newborn infant, you didn't think much about any of that. All you knew were a few basic principles. I know he died for me. I know my sins were forgiven. I know my father. And while I have an inner consciousness, I still view my relationship with God as an exterior one. 
I still assume that God and myself are living two separate existences as friendly neighbors who no longer feud. You regard it more as an external relationship. Life isn't an external relationship. Life is an eternal relationship. Life isn't separation, it's union, says Grubb. The fall causes us to think of everything in terms of separation. In the elementary state, I may think that it is me loving someone, but actually it is God's love permeating through me. He turned me into a lover. As I mature, the faulty notion that I have an independent self apart from God begins to make itself evident. It is impossible for self to overcome lust, depression, anger, etc. I may, I may ask God for help, but I still have a concept that he is helping me to change. My actions. I'm going to read that last part again. I may ask God for help, but I still have a concept that he is helping me change my actions. Are you guys following that? Rather than recognizing the continual remembrance that you no longer live. Okay, I'm going back there. But Christ lives in me. It says, beware, this is grub. Beware of asking God to help you. God doesn't help you do a thing. He does it for you. (laughs) That'll make you happy, won't it? In the same way, the Roman seven man strives to do what is right and finds it impossible. His assistance to God is rendered futile and defeating. By resisting the flesh, he's affirming it. He's saying, you exist. You exist. He doesn't realize that there's nothing left about him that exists. The branches in union with the vine, they are the same. You are not independent from Christ. You are one person. There is a realization that self is not merely incapable of performing good, but in fact, self is non-existent. The independent self is a deception. You are not an independent self called to function in good. The you has been replaced by Christ. Both the good and the evil of you have been replaced by the tree of life. Cease resisting the old. Rest in the new. Take no thought of how to overcome evil. Disregard it altogether. It's sin consciousness. Let your eye be single, full of light, and everything you see, see Christ alone. View even temptation as a positive adventure that you can reject the false and confirm the opposite. Isn't that good? And this, I'm saying, this is why, why I'm, I mean, I've been telling you mergers and this is why I'm bringing it into Sunday. You don't leave this and go to your 10-point message on how to prosper. 
Okay, you don't leave this and go to principles for healing. You don't leave this and go anywhere. That's why Paul said, I have determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. What what does that, does that mean? Do you understand? I've determined to know nothing. He didn't mean I'm just going to preach Christ and Christ and just Christ's crucifixion. He said, I'm going to know nothing. I'm going to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Personally for you, personally for me, what, and until we get this, frankly, God has a ton of mercy. Thank God for what we've been doing. Thank God for the good we've done. Thank God for the blessing that it's been. But real Christianity starts here. And ends here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It doesn't start here and go somewhere else. <laughs> it start, and it's so simple, it's terrifying. Like, I really don't need more than that two pages. I underlined every word in those two paragraphs. I mean, those two, like two pages. Every line. It's just the continual remembrance that you no longer live. And you start to realize when you really kind of make this the goal. Because, again, in Norman's stuff, he talks about where people all of a sudden get it. Like, if I pull up his stuff, I brought some of his stuff. And it's okay I'm going through this, right? This is blessing you that I'm doing this? I mean, I know I didn't write this. I know. But I I believe God's leading me to it for you. Okay, this is the, the testimonies of two people from this book. It says... Um, here are two letters which allow the same thing. They show the difference which realizing who we are makes in our thinking and our acting. They make it plain that even committed, consecrated servants of Christ may be living with a conscious inner gap between themselves and him. Did you just follow what I said? When the storm blows, that Christian finds himself at one end of the boat sinking while Christ is asleep at the other end. What a difference when the Christian realizes that there is no difference, that Christ is on the boat in him, as him. And when the sea gets rough, he rebukes the storm as he. And the first letter comes from a friend. Okay, so here's here's her letter. To say the least, my time with you meant a transformation in my thoughts. Suddenly, everything I had read, heard, and talked with you about in the past 20 years seemed to gel and become a reality. It became me. It was almost like a miracle. And ever since, I've experienced something within, which for so many years was intermittent, but which now has become continuous, and which also has become a definite part of my consciousness, or really, which has become me. It's like a long voyage and finally arriving at my destination. So in actuality, slowly arriving after all these years, the new me is really Christ as me. I know it, I live it, and it's a reality, not just occasionally after downtimes, but all the time. During these 20-odd years, by talks, letters, etc., something real was transpiring in a tangible way. A new or increased consciousness was becoming me. But going to this conference, da-da-da, was God's way for me to finally emerge from my cocoon 
and into the miracle of knowing who he is and who I am and knowing that within the deepest parts of me. The fetters of concern or worry of what is happening and why, the hurts of life which come to all of us all begin to fall off. I know the hurts will come, but I now know what to do with them. I knew before, but there was some block somewhere in me which allowed them to remain in me even as a shadow. But now I live in the center of me. I live in the real me and not in the appearance of things which come and go. I cannot convey to you, or can I, the sheer joy of arriving home, finding in truth and in reality him as me. In the past, the knowledge in my head was frequently forgotten for a time with the illusion that the painful experiences were the reality. Even though I try not to believe this, nevertheless, the pains that the hurts caused me for a moment to forget that knowledge. I learned about reality versus illusion. Apparently, God has a time for all of us to know, to reach that destination within our being where it's not only settled, but there's nothing else but him to us. Everything is now God. Circumstances, events, people, actions, everything is he. And my spirit is quiet and one with him. It's fixed, not only in my saying it, because I honestly know it. What a glorious life it really is to finally arrive home in him. That's where I live now, and it works. So many years of struggle and pain, but that's God's way for me, and it was good. I now live in that center. The wind, rain, storms may come and probably will, but I'm not the old me who will be blown about by the pain of them because I'm fixed forever. The glorious constant consciousness of that ministry, of that mystery, Jesus as me, what a relief I've come to rest. Okay, this is another guy, a stockbroker. He says, this is from 1973. Oh, on February 20th, 1973, at the age of 21, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and come into my heart. Twelve days later, in a charismatic church, I indicated my desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I was taken to the prayer room along with a few others, and we all received instructions about how to receive. Shortly after, several people laid their hands on me, and I began praying. I experienced what charismatics frequently label as the baptism with signs accompanying. Two years later, in 1975... I was involved in the biggest decision of my life. At this point, I recognized that up to that time in my life, I had not experienced what Norman Grubb refers to as the second crisis. I was unfamiliar with his books at the time. I merely knew that before I did not do God's will. But I now realized that I could not do God's will. What a predicament. I prayed, I read, I searched for an answer. During this time, I read about such men as Charles Finney, Dwight Moody, Hudson Taylor, John Hyde, Reese Howells, and many more. I noticed that most of them spoke of an experience with God apart from salvation that drastically changed their lives. After they were saved, after they had done works for God, such as starting missions, churches, schools, after all these things, something happened. They met God in a new way. They called it by various names, but they seemed to share a common experience. This is what I needed. This is what I sought, a deeper experience with God which would radically transform my life to be able to perform the impossible task that was set before me. In my searching, I came across Norman Grubb's book and was greatly blessed. I discovered that Norman had a more recent book. Okay, so I bought a copy. Um, I knew that this man had what I wanted and was trying to share it with me. I prayed the prayer that he recommended about acknowledging Christ in me, but nothing happened. 
Still, I persisted. I read more of his books and the books of others, mostly biographies of men of God. My hunger increased. My yearning grew more intense. When would God answer my cry? I began to have serious doubts about God and myself. I came dangerously close to turning my back on God, my wife, everything. If God was real, why would he not answer my cry? If he wasn't real, I wasn't going to waste my life playing church. I was getting really desperate. On the evening of November 8th, 1978, a Wednesday, I was troubled as usual. I went into my study, shut the door behind me, and talked to God. I don't remember what I said. I flipped through a few books on my hat on my shelf about men of God. I read Dwight Moody's account of his baptism in the Holy Spirit again. I read Hudson Taylor's account of his experience with God after he'd been a missionary for many years. I read the book of Romans. And in the fourth chapter of Romans, I came across the story of Abraham. The following excerpt seemed to come alive to me. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him righteousness. To the man that trusts God, his faith is credited as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? After he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Then Paul continued, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. God had given Abraham a promise I saw. By all human means, it would be impossible for Abraham to ever obtain that promise. Yet Abraham believed. He didn't understand, he just believed. And because he believed what God had said, even though the thing was impossible, he was righteous. He walked in the truth that God had declared. He assumed the role of father of many nations, even though it was impossible for him and his wife to have a son. Because Abraham believed God and walked in the truth, he was righteous. Did he feel righteous? Did he have any outward sign of being righteous? I think not. He received circumcision much later. The inward reality existed long before the outward evidence appeared, but he was righteous as soon as he believed. God was telling me to believe. The task was impossible for me to perform, but I didn't have to perform it. I had now come to the point where I could appropriate Galatians 2.20. It's Christ that lives in me. God was going to perform this impossible task in and through me. I didn't have to do it. God would do it. In fact, it was already done right from the beginning. I I had always been what I couldn't become. The truth of Galatians 2.20 became real to me. I now saw what Norman and others came to see. I read on and read in Romans 14, 4, 18 through 23 that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. He didn't waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now for the very first time, I could see what it was all about. I called my wife, shared these things with her. I told her this is what we had been talking about. And anyway, they they prayed, and I'm looking here. We prayed one at a time in our own words. I really believe before the prayer, I expected at some point, maybe years later, I would receive a sign or seal of what God had done. But immediately upon acknowledging that Christ was in me now, something happened. I received a seal upon my heart. No lightning, no choirs of angels, nothing, yet everything was different. It wasn't just a profession of faith. Christ was in me as me, is me. He was there all the time. I just hadn't let him be before. At this point, I have a hard time trying to explain just what happened, but it happened to my wife too. Everything is different now for both of us. There's a world of difference between life as we live it now and life as we lived it before. 
I had so many questions in my mind before this. Questions as, who am I? What am I? Who is God? What is life? And many more. Before these questions haunted me, now it didn't matter. What matters now is Christ in me. Everything else is okay. The problems are there, maybe more than before. But now it is okay. Christ is still there too, and he'll take care of them. So that was a long thing to read, but it was just those testimonies of people coming to this place where I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, became a way of being. Are you following what I'm saying today? Yeah. And I think for me, the unraveling of all of the subtle ways that life lived apart from that reality manifests has been an incredible revelation to watch in my own life. Am I making sense? Just, Just to become aware of all of the ways that you're not living from that reality and not even recognizing that you're not living from that reality. Does that make sense? So, you know, when the thoughts became to co- began to come again, I'm going to die, or I want to die, or whatever that is, I just began to agree with them and said, good idea. Jesus already thought of it. Matter of fact, you're already dead. Go ahead, die. Go ahead, be free. You know, and just began to just come into agreement. You know, I started to think suicide's pretty smart. I mean, not that you actually kill yourself physically, but the idea is Christian. The idea that I want to die is Christian. I mean, that, 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 you know, I mean, that, that's a Christian. I mean, we don't really think about this. I mean, we have preached the gospel in so many different ways, but this idea that, I mean, this is a pretty morbid deal (laughs) that you died. You died. The you that wants to die, died. So you don't want to stay in that morbid place. You want to stay in the good news, which is Jesus lives in me. And this is why the process of trying to become perfect is silly. You're trying to perfect something that was crucified. It's not a perfect, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a clean you up program. It's a kill you program. You know, and so it's just this, this whole idea of coming to terms with the I life. You know, I did that whole little saying you hear, there's no I in team. You know, you've heard that saying before. It's kind of brought a new a new revelation here. I mean, even in my journal, this, you know, I'm trying to pray. It's like you don't know what words to use. Because all the words are, the whole prayer, all your prayers are separate. So it's like learn, I'm learning, I'm trying to talk, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to talk like Jesus is actually alive in me. Like, so what kind of talk am I supposed to have? Because it's not supposed to be independent self-talk. Me talking to God. It's us thinking, I think. You know, I've been reading Colossians in the Passion Translation. So good. 
Really, really good. I really recommend you read it. But let me just read a little bit. Um, I made some notes here. Oh, and I also had a couple of dreams which are pretty interesting. But I forgot about that. I don't know if I should share them or not, but... Uh, okay. I'll just read a few things here. Today is a new day. I feel joyful, peaceful, and hopeful in the midst of the situations in my life. I don't know why. I just do. I'm filled with love. I might be tempted to covet, be jealous, etc., but that isn't me. I only own Jesus. I take every thought obedient to him. Jesus is what's real. Everything else is temporal. I said, what should we do today? And we are in kind of a situation here where we're just needing some financial miracles. And I just said, I know these bills are paid. I just don't know how. I just know they are. And... Um, I just, I just said, I enjoy abundant life. If there's something you want me to do, you'll tell me. And then I just said, what do you think, Father? What are you saying? What are you doing? And I had this picture of him dancing on my bills. He said, laughing and rejoicing over what Jesus has done. There is no toil, only faith, love, and joy. Dance with me, Shalise. Let's dance. Get those bills together and dance. I said, okay, Father. So I, get, I had to gather all the bills. They weren't very organized. I had to get them all out. I was like, I have to, you know, and then I put them on the floor. And, and uh, this was the song he had me play. This was a song we danced to. Give me just a second. And I'm sharing this with you because you know what? It's a dance party. Anybody's invited. So if you've got some unpaid bills, I suggest you go home and join the party. Let me just get on here if I can see. There we go. And I I would play this song just because it's a revelation. I didn't know it was a revelation until I played it about 20 times. Because once I got started dancing, I couldn't stop dancing. It was so fun. Here we go, ready? I'll reenact it for you. Isn't that good news? I think it's my new uh, offering song. Yeah, that's my new song. But my point is, Yeah, my point is, guys, just even dancing on those bills, what an incredible revelation of the cross. What an incredible revelation of what Jesus has done for us. I'm telling you, whatever whatever that looks like in your life, it doesn't have to be bills. It can be cancer. It can be divorce. It can be broken relationships. It can be... Let me tell you, Jesus nailed it. And you know what? I was happy. 
I, I would, I'm going to be as happy when they get paid as I am right this minute. Because my happiness is not based on a number. It's based on a person who lives in me. Am I making sense? I'm making sense. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's good news. The cross is good news, you guys. So what, do you, what are we taking away from tonight? We're taking away that we're happy, but what are we, real, what are we, practi- what are we practically taking away tonight? That you're dead. It's a constant, continual remembrance. A continual remembrance that I no longer live. I no longer live. I no longer live. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Well, awesome. (laughs) That's good news. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I do. I do. I do. I think it's God, it's God's grace that anybody gets it. <laughs> I think it's God's grace that anybody gets it. And I think, I think each, here's the thing I want you to focus on though, Amy. God loves us. And he is not upset by the process. Even the process for us to get it is joy for him. I mean, he, everything serves a purpose. When he says all things work together for our good, see, the fact that you don't even like that is dead. Well, there's no you to not be fine with it. There's no you to not be fine with it. So when that comes, that's the whole point. That's the point. The fact that you don't like it, well, wait a minute. There is no you to like it. And the fact that you think you don't have it is the only problem. You need to sit with that. The fact that you still think you don't have it is why you don't have it. I think it's because we have lived with such complication. I think the flesh is so complicated. And this is so simple. We don't, it's like we don't know how to do simple. That's, I believe, why the whole point is that God has had to sit my little butt down. Because I think I'm probably, I mean, I've always said being Shalise was a full-time job. Exhausting. It's exhausting. It, the flesh is exhausting. And let me say, this self-life, whew, that's why Jesus said, are you burned out? Yeah, I am. I was burned out being me. It is. And, I, and even the need to understand it, Amy, this is as simple as it is. This is all it is. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. Those two sentences is all you, that's why, that's why Paul said, he came to his life and he said, 
I purpose to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul, out of everything he felt like he knew, he came down to knowing one thing, Christ and him crucified. So it's like even the need to figure out anything beyond that is, is just simple-minded, just simpleton. Just be a, you're, you have permission to be a simpleton, just to be simpleton. And for me, it's been a lot of doing nothing. Just doing nothing. And it being weird. Because we're so used to even, And that means doing nothing even in your mind. Because our minds can be even worse than physical labor. But that's why he has you on that scripture. Just, you know, and it, it, it's a deception. I mean, that is what I've been talking about tonight. That at the end of the day, it's all a, it's an illusion. Because the reality is, you already are it. See, the illusion is that we're not it. <laughs> you know, it's so weird. I get it. That's why I'm even have trouble sometimes even just trying to explain it. That's why I felt like I had to go in here to read some other things tonight. You know? I mean, even that one testimony about the guy was really about him getting it, was really about him coming to the realization he already got it. I mean, I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I kept asking and asking and asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I didn't know a whole lot at the time. I was a brand new, kind of charismatic believer, barely knew anything. And I remember pulling in front of this license plate that said, One Power. And I just remember the Holy Spirit just impressing to me, quit asking for it. You've already got it. And I, it's like, you're trying to ask for something you already got. I was like, so then I was like, well, if I don't ask, I've already got it, but I'm not praying in tongues. So what do I do? You know, so I would sit on my bed and go like this. Ah, 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 you know, I mean, just because I didn't know how to let what I already had manifest. You know, it's like, ah. So I get that. I get that there's like this struggle to like, it's like when Chris said, well, we should just pray right now. I said, well, the wanting to pray right now is more of that. All, all it is is a, an awareness. That, but you, you only can get it a second at a time. You get it this second, and then the next second, you get it again. It's practicing, abiding. It's the continual remembrance. It's the continual remembrance. It's a continual remembrance. And is it going to be a little more consciously difficult at first? Probably, because it hasn't become subconscious yet. But even if you think about how the human mind is wired, repetition is how we learn to drive a car. So the more you continually remember it, I mean, there was a reason why, it, you know, I had me meditate on that one scripture for a whole year. You know what I'm saying? So it's, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you that you don't, uh, that, you know, that you don't always remember it. I mean, that's the whole point of everybody in the room tonight. I'm, I'm sharing the process of me trying to 
get to the place where I continually remember it. But me getting to the place, even that is a manifestation of a me that doesn't exist. Does, does that make, so the fact that I even recognize that is revelation. And the fact that I can now be in the midst of trying to do that and recognize that that's that is a revelation. So it's just, for me, I'm reading it. I'm just reading the gospel. I'm just staying in it. I'm keeping it, remind, I'm reminding myself. And that's all I know to do. Because it's already done. So I'm not asking for that. It, you know, it's like, okay, I'm asking for the continual remembrance of it, I guess is the best thing that I'm asking. And I think rather than asking for that, maybe just practicing the continual remembrance might be better. So it's just a process of doing for me. In the nat- for me, it means that I'm staying in this. I have to be reminded. And everything else in my life, unless it's grace motivated, has ceased. I'm more aware of my reactions. I'm more aware of my inner life. And just working to bring all of that into obedience of Christ, laboring to enter into rest, laboring to enter into rest. And, you know, there's some days I blow it. I just blow it, just totally revert back. And then, you know, you have like, if you're like me, you have like, you know, like, oh, you got to work your way back into it. Like, no, 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 you don't. Wait a second. Even all that's more of that. So you just, it's a simple, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. And you just, even when you say it, I like let's all say it, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. There's like something when you say it, there's like a jabba jagga juju on it, you know? It's like, whoa, I no longer live. Because it's true. Whether we're whether we are consciously aware of it or not. Does that make sense? Makes sense? Yeah. Yes. So, all right. Well, I'm going to take up an offering. And we are going to call it a night. And I'm sending you out as dead people. (laughs) All right, Father. I just pray for every single person here tonight and those that will be listening, Father, that there is just um, more of you then we know what to do with. We don't even know how to, how to receive. <laughs> we don't even know how to do that. But I thank you that Christ in us does. And so we just release the faith of Jesus here tonight. We don't have to work it up. We don't have to do it in our own strength. And we thank you that you're doing it right now. And that there people are here tonight and people that are listening tonight are here for a reason. This is, this is, you called them to hear this. You had them listen to this podcast. You know what you're, you're, they're listening to this because you're already doing it. You're already doing it. 
you're already doing it. And so you just keep doing it. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And you know how each of us is wired. You know how our brains work. And you know how to make it personal and real to all of us. And I pray, Father, that this testimony that I shared tonight, that I'm still in the midst of, that it will just bless other people, Father, and produce much fruit in other people's lives. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.